It's that time again. Did you miss me? Well, I know I've been eager to be with you all because today we have a very special guest here to talk with us about space. But before we launch into this great material, uh, see what I did there? (laughs) I wanted to talk briefly about interpersonal accommodation. The American Psychological Association defines interpersonal accommodation as, quote, the give-and-take process involved in developing satisfactory relationships in which one must put aside personal preferences to maintain good relations with others, end quote. I think this is a really useful explanation as we are going to discuss this idea around accommodation quite a bit today. You'll also hear me reference the Sud scale, which is a new addition to our OCD family lexicon, but more or less, it just means we're measuring the amount of distress we feel. Yes, yes, it's a subjective measure, but it's a useful scaling tool that is very prominent in OCD treatment. And hey, give yourself a gold star if you hear any of those definitions that we reviewed in last week's podcast. I know learning about OCD can feel like learning a whole new language. And in fact, learning about space will give us a format for that language. So join me as we continue to build on our OCD Family Communities Foundation. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The OCD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Thank you for joining us today, and we have a very special guest, Christine Rodriguez. I'm very excited to have her here because where we work, we are one of three that I know of that actually treat OCD. So Christine is my cohort here in town, but also very knowledgeable. So welcome, Christine. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here and talking about anxiety and OCD. I'm really excited that you're here to talk about it as well, especially because you are the owner of Clarity Counseling and Anxiety Center. I love that you have a breadth of knowledge. You had training through the Cognitive Behavioral Institute, correct? So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the wonderful world of OCD and anxiety? (laughs) Well, I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and when I was training, I really got interested in working with OCD and anxiety and found I could really help families. I really enjoyed working with children and kind of help reduce the symptoms of OCD and anxiety and make families a little bit happier. Yes. (laughs) All the families are like, yes, please. (laughs) We're all yes. for that. <laughs> Look at that. You thought, how do we, what's the, what's the solution to happiness? We can, we can work for it. It's not a constant state. We have been flowing in and out of it, but I love that. So you really have a passion for working with, it sounds like, children and adults. And do you remember the first time you encountered an OCD case? Because I don't know if about you, but with me, I learned very basic, broad kind of rote definitions of all the DSM diagnoses. I had never seen OCD, so I thought, in real life until I really learned about it. And then I go, oh, my word, all these years, I actually have seen many, many clients with OCD. So do you remember the first time you had that kind of aha moment of this is OCD? I do. I I remember I was in training and I had a young man and I didn't understand what it was, but I went to my supervisor at the time. She said, I think that's OCD. I really didn't know much about how to treat it, Mm -hmm. but I did, you know, I did my homework and found out about exposure therapy Mm -hmm. and we started exposure therapy and it was really just about four or five weeks. Mm -hmm. He had really reduced his symptoms. And I think from then I said, ah, this is the work for me. I 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's powerful. Something that I, you know, I think for anybody out there, whether you're a teacher, a therapist, another sort of helping professional, you don't always see the fruits of your labors and what you invest in people, but you know it makes a difference. And that's okay. We don't have to see these like super quick results, right? As long as the person's, even though we would love that, right? Everybody would love that. <laughs> like a magic wand, please, yes. But at the same time, the treatment is so life-changing for the OCD suffer, for an anxiety suffer that it is really powerful and it makes you want to be a part of something so special because you know not only is this working and I can just see it there's no there's no denying that this is helping people but people are able to actually live their lives without the the weight and the torture they can get trapped in with these intrusive thoughts so i love that christine you in particular I'm really excited to talk to you about this because you have training in space. And I told everybody last week, we're going to talk about space and it's not a rocket ship. <laughs> That's right. Right. But I'm, I'm so excited to learn more about space. Okay. Well, space stands for supportive parenting for anxious childhood emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that's a mouthful there, right? <laughs> but really, it kind of says it all, supportive parenting for children who are anxious. And the really great thing about space is that even though the child mm -hmm. is the client, we never really see the child. We only see the parents. Oh, interesting. So that's a different kind of dynamic in terms of being able to provide parents with more support that they can then go and facilitate and carry out with the child in the home? Well, actually, what we do is that we kind of look at, we look at the parents' behavior, mm -hmm. how they're accommodating the child's anxiety, mm. and we work on the parents' behavior. Okay. We don't really target the children. We don't give them interventions. Mm -hmm. We give the parents interventions. So if we if we have, I was just talking last week about the brain loop being kind of like a battery circuit. But if we kind of take this analogy to the family system as well, we can mm -hmm. see how helping the parent provide that support to the anxious child can, again, make a change in the circuit. And so that by proxy is going to help the child in terms of dealing with their intrusive thoughts, their compulsive behaviors, all of the above. Is that right? Closer? Yes. Closer. <laughs> she's like, she's like, <laughs> that's okay. Correct me because if I, I think this is great because it's good for, you know, even clinicians to be able to understand, let alone the families. So when there's OCD or anxiety in the family, right, with children, right, the parents want to make the child feel better, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they really start accommodating the child's desire not to feel anxious. So Parents will modify their schedules. They'll change their own behaviors. They'll engage in activities that are meant to reduce the child's, uh, their anxiety. Mm -hmm. So those are the behaviors that we target. So when we begin to target the parents' behaviors, the child is kind of left doing an exposure. Okay, I got you. Because okay. they're not interceding, they're not playing into the compulsion. So the child is by proxy then naturally getting exposed in the house, in the family setting. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So how did you learn about space? And was that something that you got trained in through the Cognitive Behavioral Institute? No, actually, space was developed at the Yale Child Center by a psychologist named Dr. Ellie Leibowitz, and he spent years researching parental and family accommodation. Mm -hmm. And so the research showed that when you work on the parent's behavior, you can reduce the anxiety in the child. So he developed this program called SPACE. And it does have some really uh, 
some big studies behind it showing that it is a, as effective mm-hmm. as doing CBT with the child. Same results. Wow. That's pretty powerful. So let me ask you this. So if somebody comes in to treatment, their child is suffering with extreme anxiety. They don't know whether it's OCD or not. But for the sake of this example, let's say it is OCD. What would it look like from them coming in and having a diagnostic interview or whatnot to determining that they'd be a good candidate for space? Okay. Well, we would we would do all the the normal assessments for the child. Mm-hmm. And we would also be giving the parents an assessment called the family accommodation scale. The family accommodation scale will be filled out by the parents and by the child. And we will look and see how much accommodation is there. Mm-hmm. And so then we begin, we can begin the process of space. So even if a child is high mm-hmm. on the uh, cybox, which is the scale for the, mm-hmm. for the OP, we will still, we can still do space. Okay. Even, even if the child's resistant. Okay. We, we work on the resistance through the parents. Okay. So in the Cybox is something we just talked about on last week's podcast, the the Y box and the Cybox out of Yale Brown. Yale, I'm seeing the connection. Yale, Dr. Leibowitz, <laughs> yeah. it's all coming together. <laughs> yes. And so if the child's resistant, you're saying you can work with the parent, which is great. What if the parent's resistant? What if they say, no, I'm here for you to help my child and I am already so overwhelmed with all of this. What are some of the experiences that you've had in helping engage people, especially since that that probably throws them for a loop a little bit if they're like, you're going to see Jimmy at two, and you're like, actually, I'm going to see you. When are you available? <laughs> well, I usually, I usually will ask the parents what their concerns are, mm-hmm. and then I explain to them how much the accommodation is really kind of hindering the child from getting better. Mm-hmm. And unless the parents are involved, it will be somewhat difficult. I mean, depending on the child's age right. to get those, you know, those symptoms reduced. Mm-hmm. And typically, whether I'm doing space or not, I think anxiety and OCD is a family affair. Yes. So I am always encouraging the parents to be part of the therapy. Yes, it is. A, it makes for a very crowded family gathering. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, the child's in therapy for an hour a week, but the parents are there, right? 24 hours a day. So they really are the best coaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I tell this to parents all the time. I am not trained in space, but I do do exposure and response prevention therapy. And often, unless it's an older teen that for particular reasons cannot have the session with the parent or is afraid of disclosing some of their obsessions, some of their compulsions with the parent there, I still try to work with that teen to bring in mom and dad or whoever is at their home. Because it's such an important piece. And I really don't think you can't, like, if I had a second grader, for example, I don't think I could do ERP with them without the family involvement. Absolutely not. And usually I find families are pretty willing to engage because OCD also doesn't just impact the sufferer. It impacts the entire family, which is part of the impetus for really creating this community because families are a little bit shell-shocked. And where we are in northern Indiana, sometimes you might have a family that is very engaged across the board in treatment, but sometimes it's like, you know what, we can send one person, we can afford having one person in therapy, it's the sufferer, and everybody else is just kind of grasping at straws to make it through the day. So I find usually the families are pretty willing to engage, and I've worked with just amazing parents, as I'm sure you have. So in talking about the SPACE program, who is right for this treatment program? Like, how do you sort that out? Because you were mentioning that, you know, you can have a high Cybox score. So that means if you're rating high intensity on the um, children's Yale Brown obsessive compulsive scale, 
that you could still benefit from this? How do you differentiate when you're going to do space and when you're going to do ERP or what that looks like? Well, I think after interviewing the child and the parent, I get a sense of what the motivation level is for the parents. Mm-hmm. And I look at why they're resistant. And sometimes I, you know, I can address the resistance. So I, I think it's difficult for parents to think about reducing their accommodation. So if they feel like they can't do it, then I, you know, that that's when I'll see the child. But I still will be working with the parents. It just might be a little bit slower. Okay, I got you. So in terms of accommodation, I know I'm just blown away, actually, by the dedication of my families that I get the privilege to work with. And they're very, especially as they are learning more about OCD and realizing, oh, my goodness, I didn't even realize this over here was OCD, right? They're very mindful of not wanting to reassure or not wanting to accommodate. But sometimes it's like we said, it can be really hard to differentiate because your whole relationship has evolved around helping nurture and grow this anxious child. And so sometimes it's more recent, the the symptoms have shown up, but usually the child's been anxious for a while. And so in terms of accommodation, can you talk or say more about what accommodating behaviors are or what they look like? Sure. So so some accommodating behaviors are, you know, s- some things that you said, right? Like the child's going to ask for reassurance. The child's going to want to modify routines. Some other things are some children with OCD might want extra hand wipes or sanitizer. Mm-hmm. There really is an endless list almost because I think once the parents start accommodating, like you said, they really don't even understand that they're accommodating mm-hmm. because the child's just wanting, you know, more and more behaviors from the parents to reduce their own anxiety. And it can be it can be years right. of modifying and accommodating. Right. It can be such a gradual snowball that before you know it, you have an avalanche and you're like, how did we get here? But it's also sometimes really hard to look back and go, okay, well, I don't even know how to relate to my child now because I, uh, the things I'm doing, I'm trying to be loving to them. I'm trying to comfort them. I don't want to comfort the OCD and I'm on board with that. I totally am willing to do whatever I need to do. I mean, people, I would imagine you run into this too, Christine. Some people drive hours to see me hours. And I'm like, let's do telehealth so that you don't, you and your anxious loved one don't have to be stuck in the car coming all the way just to see me. But it's really hard. They're wanting to step up to the plate. They're very, very motivated, but they don't even know what, what does my relationship look like? And am I being cruel when my child is really even having a panic attack before me and I am supposed to not what feels like supposed to not comfort them and it, and there's a distinguishing we can always comfort the child and love the child comfort our loved one with OCD but how do you comfort and not accommodate and that gets really really tricky so maybe you could speak to that a little bit sure so so usually what we what we do is we start the first couple weeks and we have the parents track all their accommodating behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so the first week they might start tracking and they're starting to get idea, right? Like, okay, these are accommodating behaviors. And then we start discussing and usually we find more and then they do another week of accommodating. So what we do after that point is much like an exposure list, Mm -hmm. we we start to kind of number them. We start to scale them on the difficulty level. Okay. So like a 1 to 10 or 1 to 100 type sub scale. And then you create a hierarchy in terms of what you're going to start cutting out in terms of accommodation. Right. So after we have the list, Mm -hmm. after we've done a lot of education, we begin to target behavior from the parents. We call it a target. Okay. Okay. I like so, that. I like Target. Target's like plain and simple and everybody, I'm thinking of the store Target because my son, 
It's like Target. Yes. Okay. Clear. Big red ball. Got it. So in terms of Target behaviors, you start do, is it a start low, go slow type thing similar to exposure and response prevention or where do you yeah. know where to start? Yeah, we do. We, we usually start, we usually start low and then we have the Target behavior and then, you know, the parents can pretty much tell us what the response might be. Obviously, we're not going to target like five behaviors in one week. We're going to target one mm-hmm. and we're going to work on that one. Okay. And okay. then we're going to go to the next one. Okay. So in terms of what this kind of looks like in practice, and I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to disclose, Christine actually sees Jack. So you may recognize the name Christine because he's like, I've done this at Christine's office. I'm like, that's my OCD therapist. I'm like, (laughs) small town. I'm used to LA where like, I never see anybody I know, even if I'm trying, (laughs) let alone in a small town. But Christine and I have worked with Jack and Jack gets more work than he's bargained for. I don't know. He could probably like, he's probably like wishing he had more accommodating behavior. <laughs> I know. I'm like sending Christine, hey, we're all wearing devil horns. Jack, Jack's <laughs> loving it as he looks like he's ready to pee his pants and we're all like, peace. Um, but but maybe we could go through like, what would this look like? Just to give an example to people. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I'll take a common one. Okay. Okay. That happens with parents. So we have some children, a lot of children who have OCD that are afraid something's going to happen to their parents when they go out. So if their parents go out to dinner Mm -hmm. or they go somewhere after work, the child gets really anxious about that. Mm -hmm. So mom and dad are getting a text every 10 minutes. Where are you? What time are you coming home? Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again. And so that child is constantly seeking reassurance about when they're going to be home. So that's their compulsion. So we would, we could target that behavior. And the way that we, we do it is we begin with what we call an announcement. Oh, I was going to say, is there, I would imagine there's informed consent for the child that, you know, (laughs) is about to get real, kiddo. (laughs) So there's an announcement. Okay. Yeah. So what we do in space is we coach the parents, what we call supportive language. Okay. Okay. So we coach the parents and we tell them, This is the language that you can use that will instill confidence in your child. And so we do part of that through what we call this announcement. Okay. Which is, I'm just thinking more broadly, even I, all these parents going, um, I would like to instill confidence whether there's OCD or not. So (laughs) I'm excited to hear about the announcement. Okay. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. So one of the things that happens is when there's a lot of accommodation, Mm -hmm. we inadvertently give children the message. To be scared. Yeah. Right? So we're kind of stepping in and not allowing them to understand that they can tolerate the anxiety or that they can move through that hard thing. So they begin to kind of pick up that message, well, well, maybe I can't. So they really don't feel confident that they can't because they always have somebody stepping in and accommodating them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They never get the opportunity to understand they can move through it. So it's like that positive reinforcement of the doubt because they're saying, yeah, we have a backup plan because this isn't going to go well. That's not what they're saying directly, but that's what the actions, that's what the tone, that's what the verbal and nonverbal, what's being said and what's not being said is communicated. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So going into the announcement, is there like a formula of sorts that they use each time they're presenting the announcement? Yeah, we start off with telling the child some things that they do well, right? Some things that they have moved through, they have been difficult. And so we start the announcement like that. So it might look like something like, 
We love you very much. And we're proud of the way that you've been handling school this year. So we're going to start off with the announcement, recognizing that, yeah, they, they do hard things and that they do a lot of things well. Mm-hmm. But then in our announcement, we kind of move. Yeah, we move. <laughs> yeah. You know, so another set after that, we would be kind of identifying the problem. Mm-hmm. But we see that sometimes it's hard for you when we leave the house or go to dinner or if we stop somewhere for work that you want to be checking up on us because you feel anxious. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're kind of identifying the problem there. Then we move to another part of the letter where we're talking about our behavior, right? The the parents are describing their behavior. So it would go something like, we think it's hurting you and making things worse because we are not giving you the chance to see that you can be without us for a while. Okay, yeah. And that's a very different script literally <laughs> script <laughs> than what they're used to hearing and what the parents are used to saying. Okay. And so then we go into what we're going to do next, mm-hmm. right? How we're going to alter our behavior. So we say from now on, we will only answer your calls or text two times in one evening. This might sound hard in the beginning, but we are confident that you can handle this. Okay, so there's so there's another element mm-hmm. of adding in some support for the child, giving them the message we we know that you can handle this. So and and then at the end we always end it with, you know, we love you, we're here for you, right? Yeah. Um, so we're but we're not really providing reassurance, right? Just information, right? Not reassurance, but support. Right. So I like that because what we were saying before is parents are wanting, obviously, to support their their family member. And so they're still getting a way to support them, but they are flipping the script to both empower the child and really themselves to say, it's okay. I don't have to respond to the anxious texts. Um, right. And I like that for smaller children that are more concrete, even for older children that are more abstract, they're like, okay, I got two times. So if they decide to text them two minutes after they leave the house, there's one. And they then have to kind of sit with the distress of, if I do it again here in a minute, they're not going to respond to me all night if I need it later. And so they already are starting working on holding and sitting with that distress while the parents are gone. And it's probably hard for the parents, honestly, to not check too, because you see some of those parallel compulsions. They're so used to receiving it. Oh, did we get, did we get a text from Jimmy? Did we get a text? You know, and so that is probably an an uncomfortable shift for everyone at the start. And so how often would you have the parents practice that in a given week? Like go out two nights a week or what would that look like? Well, we're, I mean, we're going to start off and we're, we're going to do what we say and we're going to stick to it. So we recognize that it's going to be difficult for the parents. So what we do for the parents is we enlist what we call supporters. Mm -hmm. And so we have the parents identify people that can help them and support them through the process. So when they're feeling like they kind of want to give in, right, after the 10th text, they have somebody that they can call, Mm -hmm. somebody who can come in and support them. Okay. So it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So literally having a cheerleader for the cheerleader. And I like that because as I think parents, one of our privileges and honors and also one of the most exhausting and hard pieces about being a parent is that you're always there. You're always on call. And as sacred as that is, it's draining and it's hard. And so recognizing that we need support just as much as the OCD sufferer or the anxious child needs support as well. I think that's really good. And so they have people that they can talk to. 
I would imagine to say you're having a, a parent and their partner or a friend or whatnot go out, I would imagine if the child is like having a babysitter, you would have to have a babysitter on board that they can't start calling for the kid. No, no, the kid, I really think something's wrong, you know, <laughs> having them do a workaround there. And so you you would need that babysitter or whether it's grandma or next door neighbor to be on board with that too. They're probably going to have a hard time. You're welcome for this <laughs> babysitting job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do try and get, you know, other family members involved because sometimes accommodation can kind of go into the grandparents, right? So, yeah. so we work on that piece. And sometimes we'll have the supporter come in and kind of stay with the child too, because we also recognize there might be some meltdowns involved. Right. 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 And they're not going to be too happy, but we understand that that's going to happen. But we also, we have some interventions for the meltdowns. We recognize that's going to happen and we support the parents through that. Okay. And then when the parent has the reunion with the child in this example, how does that reunion look that, again, they're mindful that they're not reassuring and overly going, oh, we made it and everybody's got a death grip hug, like like it's the end of a movie and you're like, yes, there's going to be a sequel. I wasn't sure. It was iffy for a minute. Is there any kind of special instruction on once that exposure is over, how do they talk about it? How do they debrief about it? Because the kid might want to talk about it, even if whether they called 10 times and the parents only responded to two or if they didn't call at all, but they're still really upset. So what does that reunion look like in the space program? What would the recommendation be for the parents coming back out of the exposure to the child? Um, well, it, you know, if the child's wanting to talk about that or talk about mod, maybe even modifying the accommodation, mm -hmm. we really do have the parents stick to the script. But, you know... And we have the parents provide support, emotional support for the child without reassurance, right? So there's still hugs, there's still love. Mm -hmm. We're not, they're not going to go back to the accommodating behavior. Okay. So that's, that's a good point. Cause I think sometimes families are like, I want to comfort them, but I don't want to accommodate them, but I don't even know how to talk to them now because I'm afraid I'm going to accidentally accommodate them. And then they're feeling really anxious about it, which you were talking about earlier, how sometimes inadvertently the message is getting passed along that you're not capable of doing this. But also, and we're, as as parents of someone with OCD, yes, there's going to be some anxiety probably for you as well. And so we can all feed off of each other's anxiety. Kid can feed off of us. We can feed off the kid. So coming in, it's fine to have those I love yous. It's fine to have those hugs. We don't need to go in depth about what went well, what didn't. We just go, hey, we made it. We made it through this time kind of thing or? Yeah. So remember the focus is on the parent's behavior. So, right. so if the child wants to talk about it, it's fine. But the parents are going to be stating, you know, we're doing this because we recognize our behavior mm -hmm. is hurting you. Okay. So they just put, they just shift it back to their responsibility in this partnership. Okay. Right. Got you. Got you. That is, that's very, very interesting. And I think as a marriage and family therapist, I'm all about systems anyway, about, you know, you can teach a kid to swim, but if you throw them in a pool of piranhas, good luck, buddy. <laughs> you could be Michael Phelps. It's not going to turn out well. But at the same time, uh, yeah, realizing how we can also affect change just by affecting the system. And that's, you know, that's, True in many cases, whether we're trying to build better communities or whatnot, by going in and adding resources into the system, it's automatically going to have a positive benefit on the entire system. So it doesn't have to be just on the child alone. It can be the parents taking a different posture in the family system, and that can have that ripple effect then. So you were saying that the outcomes for space have been proven to be just as effective as CBT as far as OCD goes. And I'm always struck by like how 
positive the outcomes are for OCD treatment anyway, because I feel like we don't see that in our field. Like I almost feel like I'm making up numbers. I'm like 70 to 80% of cases improve. And I feel like that's like a made up. I feel like I'm saying something made up because you never hear that in mental health. But you know, it's not made up. It's not. OCD is one of those disorders where there's so much research behind what works. Right. Right. So, so, you know, ERP works, right? So and we have a lot of studies to to back up what works. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's one of the great things about space is that it does have the research to back it up. And that's been my experience. Now, sometimes um, I will incorporate ERP and space at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like every family is is very different, but there are times, um, yeah, when I will do both. Okay. So, and yeah. you, and as you were saying before, you kind of look at the motivation and after talking with both the parents and the child, then you get a sense of whether space is going to be a really good fit or a blend. Okay. Right. Makes sense. And sometimes with children who are maybe a little bit older mm-hmm. there's a lot more resistance too sure so, there's resistance in everything like brush right. your hair i did yesterday <laughs> yesterday <laughs> yes <laughs> go take a shower i did two days ago go take a shower <laughs> well yeah I, because as they get older too i think they understand what exposure is going to mean and they understand it's going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. so but we can still go ahead and do space yeah yeah and you know i think an important piece something that i talk a lot with my clients about is almost just as big as kind of looking at the exposure and response prevention is looking at our distress tolerance or distress acceptance, (laughs) however you want to frame it. Some people have big feelings on that. So (laughs) I'll just put both out there. Um, But even for the parents, because it is really hard. It is, it's kind of akin to like, you know, when you have that newborn baby and they're crying and it's like, do I go in? Do I go out? Are they hurting or they're not? Am I taking care of them right or am I not? Like, in a way, we're still kind of stuck in that teeter-totter of not being sure kind of when we need to go in and support or when we need to back off because that's actually more supportive. And that can be, it, it can be a really hard call. I was just telling a story on the podcast a couple episodes ago about how we were at Disney World with Jack. And initially, there were a number of rides that he just used to love to ride and he didn't want to ride. And I knew it was OCD, but I didn't want to force him to do something that if he was absolutely not willing to do. Because in ERP, it's like you always have the option to not engage in the exposure. But by the end of the night, I was like, going on the ride, damn it. You're going on this ride. (laughs) And he was like, no. And I was like, yeah, you are. And he's like, you said I have a choice. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all my words coming back at me. And I was like, yeah, you do have a choice. You have a choice to go on this right now um, and see how you like it, or you can go on it and hate it. (laughs) It's kind of the way we framed a choice. But it's an ERP therapist the whole time. And I'm, you know, we're at the happiest place on earth. It sounds like I'm like dismembering him. And at the time I was like, he's compulsing. I can't stop him from compulsing. Maybe it's a pride issue, but I don't want to stop here and have him learn that he can get out if he escalates high enough. And at the same time, my intention is certainly not to torture him. And so it was it was something where I really kind of bit my lip and was like, I don't know if I'm just totally like setting us back a year in therapy or something. But and I say that as a therapist, as an ERP therapist, to be like, we all can get stuck there sometimes. But initially or eventually, I just said, you know, we're going on it and we got on the ride. He was like full on panic attack. The ride went off and it got to like halfway through the ride and I I had asked him who was who was right, mom or OCD about this ride. And he was like, you, because he had kind of calmed down a little bit. And I was like, OK, but then the second half he thought was really intense. And the whole way into the station, he went, OCD was right, OCD was right, OCD was right. And I was like, well, this went well. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, I don't know, am I 
am I accommodating him? Am I pushing him too hard? He's compulsing. So from an ERP standpoint, we didn't really effectively do the exposure. He just went through it and he didn't learn because he could go through it and, and embrace uncertainty. <laughs> he had like no choice on that one. But then like from a space perspective, not that I'm I'm sure like going to amusement park rides is probably not one of the main targets. I have an announcement. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know if there there's a different way the program would deal with that. Would you not even go there? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, again, you would be looking, you would be targeting the parents' behavior, right? So like you said, you know, if we're, you may not be able to force them, mm-hmm. but, but you could go on the ride. Mm-hmm. They, they, Parents could go on the ride themselves, right? Yeah. And um, and then the child has has a choice. So obviously, parents are going to target the behaviors that they have control of. Yeah. So you know, but but a child with OCD might even avoid looking at a ride like that, or right? Talking about a ride. So we would maybe target some of that avoidance, right? And we yeah. would be talking about the trip and going looking and not accommodating any avoidance there. Yeah. What was interesting afterwards was that we went with my extended family and we had parent swaps and stuff. So we were waiting for the other group to go and he was like studying it, like, you know, watching the ride and oh and there they go and this part they're going there and they're doing this this is the hydraulic system in the works and then he went back and built the game inside his roller coaster tycoon game (laughs) like reconstructed it which he's got such a vivid imagination for engineering different things anyway and so I thought you know it's interesting because you think about play therapy being a way to express how you're feeling this is his version of play therapy he's he like rebuilt the ride so I think he he stuck with it. But yeah, it it is interesting. And I think it's a good thing to keep in mind, too, of what can you control? What can you not control? And if you say you're going to do it, you need to be able to follow through with it. And I think that's where we get stuck sometimes as parents, whether it's OCD or not. Like if you don't follow through with it, you're really stepping in a trap because the children learn inadvertently one way or another that you're going to either fall through or you're not. And just like spouses, right? Your husband said he'll take out the trash. He didn't. You learn to find the signs of going, I don't think he took out the trash. And so we learn things intuitively without it even being said. And so it is, it's a really important piece of being able to A, fall through. And even if it goes poorly, I've had families come in before and go, we did that exposure this week. It, it went horribly. And I'm like, how, okay, tell me about that. Like, how did it go horribly? And usually the responses that the person, whether an adult or a child, had extreme panic. And I'm like, well, panic's okay. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, but <laughs> we're like panicking. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I mean, to me, that's not a failure, though. That's like, wow, they really were in the ick. They were really experiencing the distress in that. And they're like, I don't want to torture this child. But the OCD does so much more torture. Not only to the child, but to the whole family. I mean, imagine not being able to go on a date night or even to the grocery store without 10 panicked texts and a confession of maybe, you know, I think that this too can can be a tricky piece, a confession of I might hurt myself because I'm so anxious, things like that going in where you go, well, I can't just be like, all right, hurt yourself then, you know, because especially if there's any kind of history of suicidal ideation or harmed self, self-harming behaviors. And so that can be tricky. Do you run into that with space? She's like, yes, you can't see it, but she's naughty. She's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So talk to and, me about that. Yeah. You know, you, we run into threats like that, right? Obviously if we're doing a really good assessment in the beginning, right? We might be doing some modifications or maybe not even doing space if somebody's truly suicidal or there's been a history of self-harm there. Mm -hmm. But we recognize that some of the kids are going to say like, if you don't do this, I'm going to, you know, hurt myself. And so, so we have contingencies for that and we help the parents assess that. And, and we recognize that 
yeah, kids are going to be upset. They're going to cry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've had a couple teenagers really just yell for two or three days straight. Right. And, and the, and the parents, you know, I'm in the parents with that. They're, you know, they're getting yeah. a hold of me and I'm supporting them and, and they're getting their supporters, but it's like any exposure. It lasts for a time. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and then you're kind of writing that out and the person has tolerated it. Right. And through it. And then they've learned like, yes, and it gets easier. Right. Right. And in terms of with ERP, obviously a huge piece in OCD at large, embracing and recognizing the uncertainty, because we could always say we'll be back. What if we get in a car accident and we're not back? Hopefully we're okay or something, but we're not back. I mean, OCD loves to hold on to those things and be like, you see, I knew it. And we can't, and we can. we're not fortune tellers be able to say like, yeah, this will go, it'll go fine. See, but how is uncertainty addressed within the space model? Is this part of the psychoeducation that goes in both for parents and children in the beginning of like, we're not always going to know what's happening. And even if we think things are going to happen a certain way, we can't control whether that happens that way or not. So how does how is uncertainty addressed through space? Well, again, we're targeting the parents, right? So, you know, we're educating them, you know, don't use reassuring language. Don't use the language of certainty, the language that OCD and anxiety loves, right? Right. So so we're just asking them not to engage in the compulsion. So if the child's coming, if the child's going back and saying, promise me you're not going to get in a car accident, we're not going to tell the parents to respond with, I promise I'll be back. Right. We're right. not going to we're not going to engage in that reassuring language. And and, uh, you know, the child's going to have to tolerate that uncertainty. Right. So wow. and it's through it's through targeting the parents language. And we do work a lot. We do do a, a lot of um, education for the parents on, you know, what what is the language of certainty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that makes that makes a lot of sense because again if you're not setting it up in that reassuring way i'll be back at 10 <laughs> you know and instead you're saying i haven't given you a chance to practice this so you can talk to us twice and we'll be back or you know at the end of the evening whatever i mean i guess in some ways you don't need to overthink it and be like oh i said i'd be back yeah of course you'll be back you live here you know <laughs> you know <laughs> hopefully <laughs> but yeah you know the thing is to continue to kind of look at and examine how are you participating in the compulsion and so you and you would have that laid out for you you would have that list laid out for you And you would go through that starting at those lower numbers so that you can have those successful wins without needing to go in so deep that you're like, ah, total panic. Right. And it's like most exposures, right? I mean, you can see exposures lists with 50 or 60 things on there, but you may not target those 50 or 60 exposures, right? Because there's going to be right the, the the learning going on and there and and maybe the anxiety isn't going to be there now for for all those things that needed to be exposed right right face the fear so so as they the parents go through the target the child is going to build up confidence right and they're going to begin to understand that they can do some of these things and they can work through some of these things so if there's 30 items on the list, you know, it doesn't mean that there will be 30 targets. Right. And that's the same with ERP. I feel like on average, mm-hmm. I'm three or four exposures in and we need to redo the, the fear hierarchy because half of those have melted away. And it's right. interesting because I will talk with families at the beginning of treatment and they just can't it's been this way for most of their life i don't see <laughs> any of this gonna change we're never gonna could be in therapy for years and i'm like ah, 
I don't know. You know, let's see. <laughs> but uh, getting into it, usually there is kind of this, I don't know, the, this is probably not the right word, but addictive piece of, wow, I can do this. And now that I know I can do this, well, I'm ready to not feel all this crap over here. Let's just do it. And I've noticed kids generally, more so than adults, not to say that adults don't make progress, but kids are fearless. Once they have a couple of those wins, they're like, let's go harder. It's usually the parents that are like, wait a minute, though, baby steps. <laughs> you know, that's my experience. Exactly. You know, sometimes they have parents come in and say, oh, they're never going to be able to do this. And they're like, well, no, let's see. Mm -hmm. And kids really do, because once you begin to point it out to them that they really rave and, you know, they've done this hard thing. They're like, yeah, 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 I did. Okay. Right. And we're, you know, sometimes we might be even giving the parents some education about, you know, how to teach your kid to talk back to their anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, once they, they've done it a couple of times, they're kind of like, I'm the boss now. I'm the one who's going to tell my anxiety what to do. And yeah, I'm myself that I can get on the roller coaster. I'm not going to let OCD tell me what to do. Right. And, and they love that feeling. They do love that feeling. And as a parent, it is, I'm just getting goosebumps right now thinking about having some of those moments. This past weekend, Jack really wanted to watch Star Wars, which for never having seen any of the Star Wars, he somehow knew the plot of every, like, he's like, this is the part where this is going to happen. I'm like, you haven't even seen this. But he's heard and pieced enough things together that he's like, this is what's going to happen. And so he had been on Star Wars rides at, at Disney and he wanted, he had just decided, I really want to. I think I'm old enough. I can do it. We watched the movie. It was a little, it probably was the most intense movie he's ever seen. We watched episode four. And afterwards he was like, well, I think I like the rides better. This was a little bit intense. And I'm like, oh. All right. Well, you know, it didn't really say much about it. I was like, good night. <laughs> he went to bed and I thought, here we go. Fingers crossed. He doesn't have nightmares about it. But he came up this morning and he said, I can't wait to see more of the Star Wars because I am going to face my fear. And yeah. just hearing him as such a, a scared little guy feeling like excited about facing his fear. It wasn't even because I want to know more of the story, which he probably already knows. I mean, based on how episode four went. But it was like, I'm excited to not be afraid to be to face scary things. And he knew he'd probably still be scared. Yeah. But he wasn't I, afraid to I be think scared. I think sometimes, you know, you can almost turn it into a game. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the beauty of working with children. You know, you can kind of turn it into a game and sometimes there might even be a little reward and they can talk to themselves and they, you know, they can talk to themselves in a way that they understand that they have control mm -hmm. on what they do mm -hmm. and that anxiety doesn't need to dictate, right? Right. What they'll do or what they won't do because anxiety and OCD, as we know, tells you all the things that you can't do or right. that you're not capable of. Right. And it's very controlling and makes you feel like you have no locus of control. So this really gives and empowers the child and space gives the parents that that kind of recalibration, which helps to recalibrate then the child going, oh, yeah, I do. I do have this. And I think space too, it gives parents a language that they can speak to their children mm -hmm. because, you know, the language they've been speaking has really been to the anxiety. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both the child's anxiety and theirs, because yep. there's a lot of anxiety about knowing your child's going to have anxiety about something. And I think part of that is normal in parenting. <laughs> But also it can be to the extreme in situations where there's some comprehensive mental health struggles going on, whether it's OCD and anxiety, depression, other things. It can create a lot of that tension and everybody's kind of walking on eggshells. And so realizing, oh, we don't need to walk on eggshells. We can just walk. We can just walk. We can just live our life. We can just do the things we're going to do. And it really, it's really life-changing. Yeah. And you can provide support and comfort, but it's just going to be a different language. 
Right. 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 So, you know, because some of the studies that Dr. Leibowitz did showed that the more accommodation there is, there's actually like an increase in the anxiety as the accommodation goes up, the level of anxiety goes up. Mm-hmm. So you give parents the language that they can speak around the anxiety, but like I said, still provide support. Yeah, I, that's great. I love that. So in terms of going into this, what if you have a caregiver who is like, yes, I'm all in, I'll do the space, I'm happy to do this, and say they have a partner or they co-parent, maybe there's a divorce or a separation, but even if they're all in one household and they don't agree on this, maybe one parent is saying, or a caregiver is saying, you know, they're just a kid. Kids go through their little worries. And the other parent's like, no, this is not just a kid thing. And so one person's on board that we're dealing with some OCD. The other one is like, eh, you're making too big of a deal out of it and not on board. How, how do you work in that situation with one parent ready to be your ally and the other parent maybe still playing the accommodator? Well... You know, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to try and address the concerns, um, but if I can't get there, right, or if the, if, if the parent is still just not on board, I'm going to say, let's go ahead anyway. So, because there's still accommodation going on, right? So you can have less accommodation even with one parent. Okay. So. It's not as if you're going to sabotage the whole process. Yeah. So, you know, if the other parent's not on board or it's difficult for them, you're still reducing the accommodation by a lot. And you're still, you're still, you know, doing exposure work too. Right. So, yeah, you don't have to feel like if somebody else isn't going to join you where you're at in stepping in or intervening that it's a waste. It's not a waste. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm having a, a memory of years ago, and this wasn't about OCD in general. I don't even think this was this. I think this was just in the community talking to some random parent and they were explaining some of their troubles with co-parenting. They did not get along with their ex-partner at all. And the children were suffering because of that. And one of the things I remember saying to them at the time was, you know, if you were in a dark room and you gave a kid a flashlight, they can still see to get around. You know, would you say, but it would be so much easier if the lights were on? Sure. It would be so much easier if the lights were on. But you still have, you're still guiding them. You're still giving them some light and direction. And, you know, that matters. So we may not have the whole big picture, but we can see the path in front of us. And one step at a time, we're going to make it where we need to go. And... That's kind of what I'm hearing in your example, too, of like, we may still have some accommodation in there. The other person may not be willing to participate. And that's the real world. I mean, we don't have perfect world, perfect relationships by any means. No one's perfect. And so we have to work with the messy grit of things aren't always going to be super supportive or going well. And so I guess that's, too, where having those support people that you establish in your network at the beginning, if my partner can't be that support person for me, well, then I'm going to have the support people I can lean into and trust that even me cutting down my level of accommodation is going to help my kid. Right. And, and because remember, too, there's still learning going on for the child on different levels, right? Even the parent just acknowledging you know, how their behavior is kind of feeding into the child's anxiety. That's learning for the child. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then when you go in and they are reducing or stopping their accommodation, they're still learning that the child's still having to do exposure. There's still a message of support and confidence. Yeah. Right. So that's happening even if it's just one parent. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, you know, I've I've tied my kids' school teachers into it before. I know I've sent Jack to school and sent a little note to the teacher. Hey, it's the 13th. Could you say, hey, it's 13 when he walks in just for me? And she's like, huh? And I'm like, it's just, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just, that would be great. And she did it. And she's like, okay. He was like, whoa. And I'm like, 
Great. But we we have people that can also be integral in our children's lives, whether it's a sports coach, whether it's somebody from church, whether it's somebody from Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or, you know, whatever people are involved in, where if you want to help have them, you know, be pulled into the fold or even talking to their teacher and saying, these are some of the things we're working on. And I get like, you know, you got to do classroom management. But if there's something like this, if we can just say, oh, you know, we're not going to respond to that, uh, right. that would be helpful. <laughs> Feel free to call me, <laughs> you know, and depending on some of the themes, they will call you. They'll be like, this is what I was said. And you're like, oh, OK, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think having those support people that are around the kids sometimes more than we are, like our children, when it's in the school year, they see their school teachers more than they see us. So having, if you have a good rapport with your school teacher, even being able to bridge that gap, you don't have to turn them into like a full-on big old support co-therapist type person. But I find a lot of teachers are willing to go, hey, this would make my life easier too. And I do care about your child. So I'd be happy to, you know, do this or do that, do a little tweak if it would help this child live their best life. And so even if you don't have a spouse or you don't have a partner that's working with you on that. There are people, there's usually allies around that are important to the child's life that you can also bring in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that school piece is really important, you know, especially with younger children, because I think we all know about how many tummy aches anxiety produces, right? Uh To the nurse, working with the schools is a really important piece of that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been really, really helpful. Uh, You know, if listeners are curious about learning more about space or trying to find a provider near them that does space or just learning more about it, do you have any recommendations on where they could go or how they could find somebody helpful? Sure. So Space has a website mm-hmm. where you can find a list of providers, and it is www.spacetreatment.net. Okay. So I'll link that link in the page about today's episode. If you go to www.ocdfamilypodcast.com, you can learn more about Christine. You can find a link to her Clarity and Anxiety Center. And also I'll put that link for space. Do you know, Christine, do they have people trained internationally? Is this something that's more prominent in the United States or is this available worldwide? You know, I think that training started about three, four years ago, but I believe it's international at this time. So, um, he's training more and more therapists in this modality. So. You will find more more people trained in it. Great. And if you are, if anybody listening is a therapist and interested in getting trained in space, I'm going to guess that spacetreatment.net probably has more of that information. If you're a professional too, interested in learning more, getting trained in space if you've never heard of it, or if you wanted to use that in complement of your exposure and response prevention. It does sound like exposure and response prevention is kind of baked into space, but you're just really helping do the response prevention via the parents not accommodating, not participating in that compulsion. Absolutely. That's it. Yes. Okay. I like that. I like that. Thank you for that. Well, Christine, this has been so good. And as I get ready to wrap up, I always do an intrusive thought segment where I try to leave kind of an application piece. We may have OCD sufferers or family members, partner spouses, you know, listening to the podcast. Do you have any recommendations or any kind of application piece that somebody can try even by listening to this podcast? Anything that would be helpful? Or maybe it is just learning more about it at spacetreatment.net. Well, I think it's helpful to understand how your behaviors are accommodating someone else's anxiety Mm -hmm. and looking at it and seeing, is it helpful or is it hurtful? Mm -hmm. And, you know, because even when we're treating adults, we kind of are doing some form of space with other members in the family, right? So we're asking them to look at their own behaviors, whether it's providing reassurance, 
or trying to give certainty. Yeah. And then asking a person to to cut back on that or not do it. So I think just looking at your own behaviors. That's a great, a great idea. So just even making a list, writing it out, kind of what may or may not be accommodating, but it's something that may be feeding into the anxiety and then going, is this helping or is it hurting? So just kind of being able to evaluate some of that. And I think a lot of times people's intentions are like amazing. So it's hard to sometimes look at that and go, am I hurting them? I've only done that because I was trying to help. But recognizing by hurting, maybe what we're looking at is, is it increasing their anxiety when I do that? Because even if your intention isn't to hurt, it may be increasing their anxiety. And that's what you're saying by the accommodations that tends to increase the anxiety, which is why it's such a core piece to look at in the space treatment. Because taking down the accommodation, then we automatically are able to bring down that anxiety as well. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fascinating. Thank you so much. Is there anything before we go, anything else that you would like to share? I think we're good, but thank you so much. Yeah. I really enjoyed this discussion. I did too. Thank you so much. And I am, we are a small yet mighty crew here in Indiana. And I am sure I, this was very informative for me. I'm sure it's very helpful and informative for our listeners as well. So thank you. I appreciate it. And hey, that's space, y'all. We've, we've learned about it. And I love it. All right. Thank you, Christine. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Sure thing. Also, fam, make sure to come back next week. We have another great guest, Jason Adams, who is an author, father, teacher, musician. And hey, he's a guy living with OCD as well. He's the father of twins, and he really has had an amazing journey. I think his perspective and teachable moments about living with OCD while trying to wear all of those hats is not only relatable, but I'm sure if you're anything like me, you're going to be inspired as well. New episodes drop each Friday, so be here or be square. Oh, family time is always good for dusting off these oldie but goodie phrases, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit OCDFamilyPodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the download on the family chatter. Oh, yeah. Nothing says family like needing space with some grace. That's right. I went there. And you can too at OCDFamilyPodcast.com. 